Bienvenidos and welcome to the Familia FFB podcast. This is Jorge Martin, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, an invitado de lujo, as we like to say in Spanish. Uh, he's one of the co-owners of Fantasy Points, which has an incredible treasure trove of information and talented experts just like him sharing their knowledge and experience. He's worked for NFL Network, Fantasy Gurus, Roto World. I mean, just big names. He's the real deal. I'm welcoming in, again, real deal, Graham Barfield. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, man. It's uh, good to good to talk to you. Good to finally link up here. No, this is great. This is great. And uh, you know, I guess I guess we missed each other a little bit on on your California time. Yeah. What uh, you know? How has that move been to to the Rocky Mountains? It's it's definitely been a huge change of pace. Uh, my wife and I moved to, to Culver for. Uh, my job, the NFL Network, in 2018, and we lived three. We lived there for three years. It was actually great because, like, one of our like best friends from middle school actually relocated to Culver, pretty much like a stone's throw away from where we were living um, that same year. So we had like some good friends out there that we uh, got to, to kind of like catch back up with and live close together again, which was nice. Um, Colorado is definitely a big change of pace. We were talking a little bit before the show, but like. California is so warm and just like perfect all the time. And here this week in Colorado, like we got, we got like two or three inches of snow. I want to say on like Monday or Tuesday. And then today it was like, or yesterday it was like 80 and sunny. Um, Colorado weather is definitely a lot moodier, but it's, it's awesome. I, I was originally, I, I grew up in the mountains in North Carolina. So it's kind of nice to be back in the snow and, and colder weather. I guess that's kind of, kind of where my blood's at. We'll get into Mexican food a little bit later, but but there, I know you're still gonna you still should be able to find some some good stuff in Colorado. It is called Colorado for a reason. <laughs> yeah. The, oh, the man, the food here is awesome. I haven't had a bad meal yet, but I definitely miss. There's some. There's a couple amazing taco places like right around the corner from where we're at. I definitely miss the food in California for sure. That's a big part of it. Oh well, we're gonna get into that. We're okay. gonna get into that. But uh, you know, first off, I, I, you know. I mean, this is, it's so great, to, you know, to see where you are right now, but when did the love for fantasy football just kind of start and kind of, when did you think of the possibility of diving into being, being an analyst? Um, I've always loved sports in general. Like I, I really, it's been a part of my life since I can ever remember. Um, baseball is my first true, pra- true passion. Um, I played baseball throughout, you know, elementary, middle, high. Um, I was a pitcher and Um, I guess that was my first true love, but I've always loved all sports. Um, You know, growing up, my dad and his whole side of the family were huge Florida State uh, football Seminole fans and uh, probably watched like thousands of hours of Florida State football growing up as a kid. So that definitely fostered some of it. Uh, I also I grew up, like I said, in North Carolina, like West North Carolina. So I didn't really have like a geographical team because, um, you know, it was the Panthers, but the Panthers are new. Um, I was born in the early nineties. So they were still kind of new and, um, everything else was kind of, I don't know. I just, I, I think I fostered a group, uh, just, a a love of players over teams. Um, so I think that's kind of helped me, uh, in fantasy, to be honest though, to be honest though with you, like I never thought I'd be a full-time fantasy analyst. I mean, that whole, the whole concept still blows my mind. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always loved, always loved sports, always loved, um, you know, following and tracking stats. I mean, I would, you know, always read the USA Today at like six years old, just to, you know, check out baseball box scores. And I think I, I probably joined my first fantasy league when I was like fifth, sixth grade. So I've, I've been, I've been uh, following sports full time pretty much my whole life. 
Uh, it's amazing. And you know, it, it's funny what you were saying about like following players over teams. Right. I know, I know for me when the Rams left in 95 mm. and I was, a, uh, you know, I was a dyed in the wool Ram fan from the time I was 10 years old. And, but when they left, it was kind of like, Oh, I think I felt like fantasy football was what kept me tied to the NFL during yeah. that time. And, uh, and actually I've, I, I've heard that that that's actually what kept it alive in a lot of LA. So. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, what's crazy in LA is there's, there's way more Raider fans than Rams fans. There's way more. It's like double the amount. Like people don't realize it, that the Raiders still have, like that's where the contingency of the Raiders fans are is LA. And it's ironic too, that Vegas is closer. If you catch the traffic, right. Vegas is closer to, uh, to LA than Oakland. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's a big part of it too. I feel, I feel for the, the people in St. Louis now too, you know, they, they had the Rams mm-hmm. for all those years and the team moved out. Um, but yeah, I, I know a couple people in St. Louis, they say the same thing, you know, that fantasy is really what's kept them, uh, attached to the NFL. Well, I will say they got a Super Bowl out of the Rams, so, uh, <laughs> I'm still waiting for mine. <laughs> it's true. It's true. They did. Greatest show on turf, baby. Yeah. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain. I've, you know, I, I grew up a Laker and Dodger fan, so well, they, they took care, they took care of me on the other side. Your Dodgers, man, they are, they are going to be really tough to beat. That Dodgers rotation is just unbelievable. It's kind of crazy. Like I think once Bauer and Bueller get going, I think Kershaw end up being the three, which is crazy to think about. You know, especially considering where he's been. And I've known Kershaw. I met Kershaw his first day, the day he signed in 2006, at 18 years old with a buzz cut and everything like that. So, uh, and to see his rise and, and he's still so good, but yeah, I mean, those, I mean, Bueller and Bauer, I mean, I, I really love Bauer's just different enough that I he's he's still fun. He's still yeah. so fun. Yeah. Bauer's Bauer's uh strikeout strut is just he has so much <laughs> swag on the mound. He's he's gonna be so much fun. He's gonna be so much fun. Did you have one when you when you pitched? Oh, I didn't strike en- strike out enough people, so no. <laughs> if I if I struck somebody out, I was pleasantly surprised. <laughs> even to close out an inning? Even yeah. even if you got one to close out an inning? I was the set, so I was the setup man. I could throw really hard, but I had no off-speed pitches. Like I didn't know where they were going, um, so I just tried to like be a flyball pitcher, just keep my keep my fastball high. Um, but no, I I definitely don't have. I was not good enough to warrant a K strut. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, back to back to fantasy. I mean, that early love and just being able to, you know, just loving the game so much and mm-hmm. and get, getting good. Uh, you know when but about what what time was it i mean that you really thought okay i want to throw my hat in the ring on this um college probably around there um i just always i don't know i i think um i was working this job in accounting um so i had a lot of time on like excel and all the various accounting you know softwares Mm -hmm. that we used and i always had a, a love for you know, for numbers and data and, and stats, like I was saying. So I, I had a lot of time to kind of like learn how to just basically teach myself how to use Excel. Um, and I'd always enjoyed writing, but I never, I never really considered myself to be that good of a writer. I think I was always like competent, but never good. Um, but it was like college and I was just like, you know what, you know, I've been on Twitter, uh, for six, eight months. I'll just start this little blog and um, start writing about, just start writing about fantasy, just anything that comes to my mind. Um, so I'd say it was probably around college. I had a lot of free time in the summer to like, you know, hone in on some articles and stuff. 
uh, which is the, you know, that's pretty much the premier time to, to write off season stuff is during the summer. So yeah, my sophomore junior year, you know, that's kind of where it started for me. And then from there on out, um, got a job. My first job was with this small little blog out of Vegas. Uh, it was like a Vegas insider blog. I wrote for them for a little while. Um, then worked for uh, JJ Zacharyson and a number fire. And that was like probably one of the best decisions I've ever made because JJ, excuse me, JJ is like probably the best editor I've ever worked with. Um, I had, I was always really good with data, but never really like great at uh, showing like the complex ideas and making them readable. Um, and I would say he, he definitely uh, helped out in that regard. So um, yeah, it's just kind of a crazy crazy story, but, you know, small project I started doing in college and, uh, I'm lucky enough to be where I'm at now. How amazing. How amazing. So wh when did the, the idea for yards created, uh, kind of, cause it's, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's right there next to you, or, you know, it's, it's right there next to you on your name practically. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yards created was probably a couple years after I started trying to write fantasy. So it was 2015. Um, I've been writing fantasy articles since 2013, but not really full time until like 2016 ish. Um, but yeah, yards created was 2015. And honestly, uh, you know, Matt Harmon and I kind of came up together, not, not together, but at the same time. And, you know, he was doing amazing stuff with reception perception. And one day I just messaged him. I'm like, Hey dude, like what, if you were doing what you're doing for, uh, receivers, if you just kind of translated that to running backs, like what would that look like for you? Because I had always like heard, you know, and we still do here and like scouting reports, like, oh, this guy always goes down on first contact or this guy's great at, you know, forcing missed tackles, but you never really saw a lot of like data for it. Um, and now PFF has come to the forefront. They're doing amazing things uh, in terms of the data front. But um, yeah, that's kind of the, that was kind of the inspiration for it is like, you know, I always wanted to have like some sort of like objective you know, stats to put behind, uh, to put behind narratives. How do you think it's evolved over, over the years since you, since you published, I think it was 2016 was the first article you published under that. Yeah. Um, it's definitely changed a bit, you know, watching, <laughs> watching a thousand carries every, every spring that doesn't change. Uh, so <laughs> the workload doesn't change, but I, I think the way I process the, you know, the prospects has changed. And I think, you know, in today's NFL, we're going to hear countless pundits talk about positionless football. And I think running back is really transitioning that way too. Um, you know, a lot of the guys, pretty much all of the guys, except for Derrick Henry, who have gotten, you know, major contract extensions in recent years are all fantastic pass catchers and basically like hybrid players. Um, so I think, you know, the process hasn't necessarily changed in the way that I'm charting uh, hasn't changed. Um, but I, I definitely think the players coming in have changed and that's kind of evolved the way I, um, the way I, you know, for the lack of a better word, scout them. Oh, that's cool. So, you know, the, the jump to create fantasy points, um, you know, was, was such a momentous one. I mean, kind of, it's, it's been about a little, a little more than a year now or thereabouts. We're getting close. We're getting close to officially yeah. being a year. We we actually started on four twenty, so oh. <laughs> we got we got we got a little uh, a little celebration to do here in a couple of weeks. 
<laughs> so for, yeah, exactly 420 hey you guys started on 420 we started on may Cinco de so, Mayo, perfect. so <laughs> perfect timing perfect timing uh so you know you know what what brought you to make make that jump and now that you're coming close to the anniversary i mean how, how are you feeling mm-hmm. about it especially feel, doing it in such a crazy year yeah well yeah i feel awesome about it now uh back in like july of last year wasn't uh, just super worried about not having a season um but yeah very lucky that we we got you know, a full NFL season and it went off basically, uh, you know, as good as it possibly could have. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the start of, of fantasy points was pretty simple. I mean, I, I got my first real like full-time paid job with fantasy guru. And that was, you know, John Hansen, uh, Joe Dole and Tom Brawley. That was back 2017. No, that was 2016. Um, so I'd known those guys and, and become good friends with those guys, you know, a long time ago. Um, ben Kukanis was the editor then, and now he's running the show at Fantasy Points. So for me, it was, you know, it's kind of a simple transition in the sense that, like, I love, you know, love those guys, love working with them. Um, and they've they've always kind of treated me in a way where I kind of like, I, it's not, they just kind of give me like creative space to kind of do what I do. And, um, it's just worked out, worked out really well. And now it's, it's bigger and better than ever. I mean, we just had this draft guide come out with an app, uh, that, that has Greg Cosell's profiles in it and, our, you know, our, our, all of our staff ranks and staff mock and stuff. And, uh, it's, it's probably Ben said it in Slack the other day. He's like, this is like the coolest thing we've, we've done as a group together. And it definitely is. So, um, honestly, it was kind of an, just a no brainer to kind of um, work, work with friends and work with people that I, you know, love working with and respect so much. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's just going awesome. You mentioned Greg Cosell. I mean, it's like when I, when I, every time I hear him interviewed or do, or do a breakdown, it's just, I, it's enthralling. I, I, I can't help but just be like, oh my God, this guy knows so much. And I watched his uncle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Howard was unbelievable on the mic. Um, but yeah, Greg is, he's, he's something else. Like, Greg is, uh, and I would say this, this is the, obviously I'll sound by, I'll sound by saying this, but Greg is my favorite analyst to, to listen to. Um, his recall of plays is just unbelievable. I think he has like basically a photographic memory. It's, it's absolutely insane. I mean, you can ask him about, you know, a touchdown that Trevor Lawrence threw in 2019 against, I don't know, Wake Forest or whatever. And, you know, he'd remember the exact play, the exact alignment, the exact coverage he was facing. Um, yeah, he's 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 the man, and you know, there's a reason he's the the pinnacle, I think, of uh, of film analysis. No, oh, incredible, incredible, and you know, we're in kind of like the height of NFL draft season, and um, you know, and I'm sure your yards created metric is getting just the crazy workout right now. Everybody's got the consensus going out that Najee Harris, Travis yep. Etienne, and Javante Williams are like that top tier. Yep. Um, how do you kind of rank them right now? And, and do you have, have you seen any red flags in, in the thousand carries that you've seen? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It's the clear top three. I think Harris is a tier above uh, ETN and, and Williams. I think actually ETN and Williams are pretty close um, in that second tier. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this the last couple of weeks. Um, I was super busy in February, so I didn't get to do as much charting as I would have liked. Um, but yeah, Harris, if you like stacked up Harris compared to 
the class last year, I think he would he would probably rank out as the second best prospect behind Taylor. Um, really, the only thing Harris doesn't have is home run speed. Like he just he doesn't have the ability to like rip off you know a seventy five yard touchdown and and you know run away from safeties in the third level. Um, but everything else with him is just unbelievable. And you know, like I was talking about a little bit earlier, is like one of the things I've been trying to hone way more in on is is just how good uh, of pass catchers these guys coming out are. And for a back of Harris's size, I mean, he is so fluid in the passing game. His his ability to transition from catch to yards after the catch really is it's it's like a running back that's thirty pounds lighter. Um, so I I think Harris is. At, I wouldn't say by far and away because I think some teams will really be enamored with ETN's speed and explosiveness, and for good reason. Um, I think they'll end up getting drafted pretty closely, um, but I, I think Harris for me right now is is uh, pretty easily the number one running back in this class. Oh, awesome! Uh, how about, like outside of that top tier? Are there mm-hmm. any any guys that that uh, it kind of, that those the top three? Any guys that that are really look favorably on the yards created well to be honest with you i think this class kind of stinks um after the top three i just you know if i did grades uh you know round grades i think all of them would get like round four plus grades um you know michael carter will be uh someone to, to, to kind of monitor i think in that late second to third round pocket um I, my, my, it's, it's, I haven't done my full rankings yet, but I think Trace, I think Trace Sermon might end up being my RB4. Uh, he transferred obviously from Kansas to Ohio State. Uh, obviously, the, you know, Big Ten last year was a disaster with COVID and they had a really shortened year, but Trace, man, Trace Sermon had some awesome games. Like, um, you know, I think Harris is really the only like bell cow in this class who can be a true three down player. I think ETN and Williams it'll depend on where they go. Uh, but I think Trey Sermon has the ability to be a three down runner. He is super agile. Um, so I, I think Sermon right now is kind of the guy that's flying under the radar a little bit. Oh, okay. Any guys that it really doesn't like right now? Um, there's no real standouts. Um, yeah, no, no one that really comes to mind. That's like, you know, massively, um, it's like it's, the weird thing about this class is like everyone has their red flags. Like Kenneth Gainwell, for example, is never going to be a very strong inside runner. Like his game predicates on, you know, getting open in the passing game and being in the right team, um, getting on the right team where his, you know, ability can be, uh, at least for fantasy, his ability can be used the right way. Um, mm-hmm. It's like every everybody outside outside of that top three, everybody has their like little things, you know, like. You know, Chuba Howard obviously had a monster 2019 season and then got hurt in 2020. Um, he's definitely going to fall in the draft, and he's pretty much just like a, a one-speed guy. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how the NFL values uh, these these guys in like the RB4 to 12 range because I think you could pretty much make an argument for any one of them. And that's the thing, and you know, and I was kind of looking through at, at places at, at p- potential landing spots. Right? Are you are you not? Is it is it me or is it just there aren't that many? At least, definitely for bell cow spots, or as we like to call on our show, lead caballo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, there's definitely not. Um, you're absolutely right about that. I think the Falcons are one, the Jets are one, the Steelers are one, and that's kind of it. Um, I, I would be shocked if the Falcons don't do something at running back during the draft. Uh, I've been wanting them to take Najee Harris at 36. I, I, I don't think we'll see a running back in the first round this year. Um, so yeah, you're, you're right though. I mean, really there's, there's like three or four clear cut ones. I think the Cardinals will absolutely draft it back. They've got to get a compliment to chase Edmonds. Um, but yeah, I mean, relative to how much opportunity there is at receiver, uh, the running back, like, you know, available touches that that touch pool is, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be tight. And there's going to be some rookies that, you know, people love that go to spots and they just get buried. That's the thing I'm worried about, about this, uh, about this class is just, you know, some guys that might have like a talent, maybe they're good at pass catching or maybe good at running, but, you know, or, or just running. Maybe they're not stellar at both that they might just, you know, kind of like uh, you, you, you had them a couple of years ago and they're like a Daryl, Daryl Henderson, yeah. or something like that. So, um, well for me, how, uh, and, you know, kind of, you kind of hinted at this when you mentioned that, that this, this class kind of stinks kind of, how does it compare to the 2020 class? Well, the 2020 class was really top heavy. Um, the top five, everybody had the same, you know, mm-hmm. names in their top five, but different orders to them. And those, those top five guys were all like, I thought very strong, like second round picks, like early, early second round picks. And we saw them all fly off the board in that early second round. Um, this class is like, I think Harris is a, an early second rounder. I think ETN is a mid second guy. Williams is too. And then after that, it's, it's weak. You know, I, I have sermon is like my guy that I'm, I'm really interested in to see where he goes. Like if he gets drafted by the Steelers in like the third or fourth round, I, I might be all in. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of just stacking up, this class is a lot like, uh, the, the Josh Jacobs class in 2018, where Jacobs to me was the clear cut. Number one, uh, we had Darrell Henderson, who was really interesting as like a second, third round pick. And then it was just a bunch of guys. Um, I think, I think this class is kind of comparable to that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember that class. Oh yeah. Well, uh, for me, I'm, I'm big on year two for NFL players. Mm-hmm. Um, for most, mostly at quarterbacks, I feel like they figured it out a little bit more, but for the running backs, and you mentioned a little bit about last year's class being top heavy, a lot of those guys started to pop the cane makers. Taylor yep. had that huge second half, especially the playoff run. He probably won some people some money during that, uh, during, during those closing weeks. Uh, are there some that you're kind of more bullish than others from that? Yeah. Class? Yeah. Um, you know, acres is going to be hyped out of control. I mean, he's, Excuse me. I think I think Acres is probably going to end up being a pretty early second round pick when it's all said and done. When you're doing your draft uh, in, in the summer, um, I'm interested to see where the public lands on Clyde Edwards-Alaire because, based on what I've seen from him as a runner, I, I thought his twenty his rookie tape was pretty damn good. Um, I think you know obviously he got hurt at the end of the year. Uh, the touchdowns weren't there like we expected because they do so much to scheme. Uh, Andy Reid does so much to scheme Kelsey and Hill open near the goal line to get them touchdowns. But and I, I think Edwards Alaire is going to be going to be an interesting buy option. And you know I'm I, I loved Edwards Alaire coming out. I think I had him um, I want to say third pre-draft, and then I elevated him to one because of the landing spot. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe I'm maybe I'm allowing some of that bias to seep back in, but. 
Um, I, I thought he answered every question as like, can he be an inside sustaining runner? I, I absolutely think he can. Um, on the flip side, I think Dobbins might go overdrafted a little bit. Um, the team, lo- that Ravens team loves Gus, Gus Edwards. Um, they, they, they gave him a second round tender, I believe, which is a lot of money for <laughs> a running back uh, on, an ex- on an exclusive rights deal. Um, they're going to continue to make that like a three hundred monster. I mean, it's Jackson, it's Dobbins, it's Edwards, um, and until we see Lamar kind of check down more often, uh, Dobbins receiving you know floor and ceiling is going to be it's going to be a, a lot lower than someone like DeAndre Swift or Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Now you mentioned uh, Ceh. I'm glad I, I'm glad you said that because I, I I kind of felt like for a little bit there that I was the only one who was thinking that he was he might do well. I often wonder, and this is kind of like the psychology of fantasy football players. It's like when a guy leaves for a little while, it's like he's gone forever. And, and I mean, yeah, he missed a few weeks. I feel like that always drops a guy's value. I feel like he could be a guy who could be a, a big value in the second or third round next year. And I mean, he's still going to yeah. catch a bunch of balls. Yeah. And that, you know, that was the thing I was a little bit surprised with, um, with Reed is he did not, he didn't get Edwards Alaire involved as much as a pass catcher as I thought he would. And, I think a big part of that is like <laughs> when you got Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, I mean, they're the best duo maybe we've ever seen. Um, I think that's a big part of it. I also think Mahomes is just super aggressive, doesn't check down very much. So that plays a part in it. But, you know, just going back and like looking through the data and watching the tape, like Edwards Allaire didn't run a lot of like complex routes. It was a lot of like checking releases, going to the flat. Um, hopefully they get him more involved on some of the, some of the routes that I know he can run from LSU because I mean, he was getting open at will on a pretty diverse route tree, uh, uh, in college. Yeah. Think about that. You know, the, the all those Kansas city guys could even Mahomes cause every, someone's going to draft Mahomes at the end of the first or the second round. It it's going to happen in every league. Yep. Uh, those guys are going to be gone by the third round. So yeah. Oh. It's amazing. Well, that, that kind of leads to my next question because I know I feel like every year fantasy football lessons are learned that are applied to the next season. And one of the big lessons for me that I learned last that that I really felt like was reinforced was that elite tight end, the yeah. Kelsey. I mean, Kel, I mean, every team that I did that did well had Kelsey on it. Um, and also the Konami code quarterbacks. Uh you know, is there anything that you kind of like you're up updating or evolving in your analysis and kind of your own personal drafting? Yeah. That you're uh, applying to this year? I definitely undervalued Kelsey last year, 100%. And Darren Waller. Um, those were two big misses for me. Um, Waller is not going to be a six round pick this year. I'll tell you that. He's going to be, he's going to be a second, third round pick in most drafts. Same with Kittle, even though he's coming off the injury. So you're spot on about the, about tight ends. And yeah, I mean, with, with quarterbacks now, we've got this influx and we'll have even more between Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. Um, and, and Zach Wilson can move too. Um, all of these guys have fantastic scrambling ability, not only just on like, you know, design plays, but, you know, just making second reaction plays. So that's, that's a trend that's just only going to continue. Um, you know, it's going to be really hard for guys like Tom Brady and Kirk Cousins to, to finish as top 10 quarterbacks when they're statues now. Um, but for me, I think the biggest lesson I, I've learned over the last couple of years is just how deep receiver is. Um, you want to be like, I, I think for me, my biggest takeaway last year beyond the, you know, the tight ends and the quarterbacks was that I think I've been overdrafting running backs and overvaluing them just a little bit. Um, 
especially in leagues where you start three receivers in multiple flex spots. Most of the time, you're going to want to have receivers in, in those spots. And I think consistency at receiver is just so overblown. Like even DeAndre Hopkins throws up duds. Um, but by and large, like the access to get those 20 to 25 point games largely comes from receivers. Um, so I think with, you know, this, this is another really fun receiver class too, where hmm. I mean, we're going to have four or five rookies that are probably going to be impact players week one. Um, I just think receivers gotten to a point where it's just, it's just crazy. And like, you, you want to be six, seven deep uh, and give yourself options, especially, like I said, in, in leagues where you're starting, you have the option to start at least three to four receivers. I know that's one thing I didn't mention it uh, on there, but also that the, the other thing is kind of giving myself flexibility mm-hmm. on yeah. not, not having, I, forever I've been running back, running back, running back, yep. running back yep. and everything like the last couple of years, it's just like they're there. It's such crucible it's such a battle of attrition you know in the first couple rounds and the you know the i had one i i was so hot on josh jacobs last year okay uh because i thought he was going to be a good a find in the second round in at the back half of the first round early second round i was i was one of my my most competitive league i was he got picked right before me so i was just like all right i'll take Devontae adams instead so, that that worked out well. <laughs> that worked out very well. So that 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 almost was kind of freeing and thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe a, a modified zero RB yeah. strategy is something to, to think about. Yeah, and that's my thing is like in drafts, like you never want to go into a draft with a set strategy. You know, you you'll have an idea of where players are going to go in ADP ranges. Um, but yeah, I mean, things like that can happen. I mean, you can be targeting J- Jacobs. Yeah, I was targeting Miles Sanders. Um, in that range last year. And it, yeah, that was, that was Ooh, that touch and go. That was touch and go. He had a couple games there. It, honestly, it was just like the Jacobs pick. I mean, they both had a couple solid games and uh, they definitely did not return that, that ADP. But, but yeah, you know, I think this year is going to be another top heavy um, in, in terms of best ball and redraft in the first 24, 30 picks, or it's going to be pretty running back heavy again. So if you're, if you're out there still still grinding the zero RB uh, grindstone, it's going to be another good year for you because I think we're going to see a lot of running backs go off the board. Yeah, I think. I mean, receiver is deep, but yeah, I think mm-hmm. I'm willing to. I I I I got lucky enough with Antonio Gibson late, and then yep. Cam Akers. That was a late, big one. Yeah, that that I was just kind of like, okay, you know what? Let's let, let's kind of play with around with that a little more. Um, yeah, so Gibson was okay. Gibson was a league winner last year. I mean, he until he got hurt, he was just every week like that when he when they you know finally made him the starter you know that two to three weeks before the season started his ADP you know skyrocketed from like the 11th round to like the sixth seventh and even then he was undervalued I mean he was he was awesome oh Thanksgiving Thanksgiving when he blew up against the Cowboys was just glorious glorious (laughs) (laughs) but uh so uh, for my next one, you kind of uh, hinted at, at the, uh, one of the players I was going to ask you about for the next one. I hear you're a big proponent of BMI. So. <laughs> oh, man. Thanks, so, uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, mi hermano, gracias for, the, for that one. Uh, so, uh, Graham, I'm giving you the floor. Say whatever you'd like to say about that and feel free to expound on Devante Smith as much as you'd like. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Edwin knows 10 times more about this. And I, I was actually asking him about this last week, you know, just like, 
Um, the the knock against Devonte Smith is that he's really skinny, and he is, and that's a legit like that's a legitimate concern. But at the same time, I feel like, uh, man, I mean, you you watch him. Sure, he didn't face a lot of press coverage at, at Alabama, but I mean, the the effortlessness he has at getting open. Um, the game has changed so much at receiver. Like, um, this is why I think Matt Harmon's reception perception is so important is like getting open and gaining separation is like the number one, two, and three thing you should be looking for when you're scouting receivers. Like no matter the size, like if these guys can get open independent of their scheme, which is kind of an oxymoron, but that's a whole nother can of worms. Um, that's what matters most. And Devonte Smith gets open and un- almost unlike any receiver, I've, I've seen in the last six or seven years, it's kind of the whole Calvin Ridley debate over again. I mean, like Ridley got open at Alabama and at will, he didn't have the best production profile because he was sitting behind a bunch of really talented players. Same thing can be said for Devontae Smith, but uh, on BMI, it's just, and I think Edwin probably would say the same thing. I, I hope uh, it's just, it's just a flawed thing. Like Edwin made a great point. He was talking about how it just doesn't measure body fat. Like, you know, if you're six feet tall and 200 pounds, but you've, you're ripped, you're still going to be overweight, according to BMI. Um, I think, you know, BMI came out ages ago, you know, and there's just so many better ways to like measure frame and measure uh, muscle density than, than just a simple BMI metric. Um, I just think the Devonte the Devontae Smith debate is an interesting one. Um, and I, I, he definitely doesn't come without uh, downside because he is, you know, six, 175 pounds, whatever he is. Um, there's legitimate concerns that he might get beat up against, um, press man corners. But in today's NFL with all the motion, these teams are using, especially sharp teams, excuse me, like the 49ers, the Rams, they do a, an incredible job at, uh, at getting, getting their Z and slot receivers open with motion and just personnel formation. So the idea that Devonte Smith is a bad player because he's not great against press coverage, man, in the NFL, he might only face press coverage like 15% of the time. Um, and his BMI at that point won't really matter because he's going to get wide ass open. Um, <laughs> that's, that's my whole, that's my whole thing is like, I just think some of the BMI stuff is so black and white. Um, and it's just focusing on the most like narrow lens of these players and, uh, there's, there's a lot more that goes into it than, than just a, you know, a weight number. And that's the funny thing. Edwin put that up on Twitter the other day and I, I threw out the, I said, BMI is, is what, uh, scouts and other people use to justify not to take Devonta Smith. And yep. so that they could, so they could justify when he becomes an all-star or all pro player, uh, or pro bowl player that he's, uh, oh, well, he's a small guy, so he's not going to last or something like that. I, if the guy can play football, the guy can play football. Yeah. And you know, Chad Johnson, um, I love Chad Johnson on Twitter. Mm. Like he had this bit a couple years ago, he was watching Devonte Adams tape and he like filmed himself. He was like crying. Cause he was like, Devonte Adams is so good. But he's, he's been saying the same thing about Devonte. He's like, man, I played at like 180, and he, they're the very similar frames, very skinny. Mm. Uh, they use a lot of footwork to get open. Um, and Devonte Smith is, is, very similar. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that a guy can go for nearly 120 catches, nearly 2000 yards and score over 20 touchdowns. And people think he sucks like against the best competition in college football. 
that's the thing. It's like, you know, there's, there, he's going up against guys who are going to get drafted along yeah. with him. Yep. <laughs> so absolutely. It's like, so, it, and he was beating those guys like a drum. So, and what, what gets me too, just not to go off in too much of a tangent, but like I, I watched half more than half of Najee Harris's carries this year. Right. So I saw a good bit of Vontae Smith blocking. The dude doesn't block like he's 170 pound guy. I mean, he, he is a physical player and he uses, I mean, he, he tries, I mean, he's absolutely, it's not like he's getting road graded in, in, in the run game. Like he, he is definitely a lot more physical than he's given credit for. Oh, I'd love to hear that. I, I, I didn't, I don't watch that closely with a see receiver blocking it. Yeah. I, I listen to, I, I listen to people like you who say that. So, <laughs> but no, that, that's a good thing. That, that's, and that's the thing to me. I, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, what I'll close with on the, on that front was when uh, on the pro day there was a there there was he ran a he ran a fly route yeah and he just looked different yeah. he just looked different and it, I mean and, uh, and you know Mac Jones hit him hit him in stride and everything like that and I mean everybody but he he just looked like he moved different and he was so smooth and so electric yeah exactly he moves he moves at a different at a different speed than a lot of receivers do. It's just effortless for him. No, it's, it's beautiful. I'm, I'm going to grab him wherever I can. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take a chance on him. Yeah, um, well, ho- so- hopefully he, hopefully he goes to a team where he gets a lot of targets. Cause there's that, that top, that top 15. It's, it's tight. There's going to be some, some competition. I mean, he, if he slides back to like Arizona, that'd be a, uh, that'd be pretty fun. Ooh, wow. That'd be, to see to see the possibility of him getting a hundred targets somewhere would be yeah that'd yeah. be very interesting, for very sure. interesting. Ooh, I I'd love to see Miami. Part of me, I've always got a soft spot for Miami, but yeah, um, we'll see what they do there. Um, you know, I mean, you 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 talk about so much of the numbers that you get in. What are some of your favorite analytics that that you go through, and and maybe which ones do you? Th- I you know, I've also heard you say that there are some that are a little bit on the overrated side. Yeah. Um, yeah, the biggest thing with analytics is is knowing what's noise and what's not, um, like knowing what's predictive and what's not, and um, that can be very hairy at times. Um, for fantasy, like for running backs, as much as I sit and love to talk about you know footwork and this guy you know can create uh, this many yards or you know uh, force this many tackles through speed or whatever, at the end of the day for fantasy, like what really matters is snaps and what really, really matters is targets like Scott Barrett, um, who I work with at fantasy points, he's been on top of this for years, like ahead of the game for years, like targets are worth three times more fantasy points than, than carries if you play in PPR leagues. Um, so like just off the bat, knowing what to look for is the most important thing, but analytically speaking, um, my favorite metric for like receivers is yards per route run. Uh, Pro Football Focus started this a long time ago, and pretty much all the best receivers are up there in, in yards game per route run. Uh, I think that's it's pretty much the best efficiency, like catch-all one-number efficiency metric for receivers. And uh, you'll be shocked to know Devontae Smith is is high, high up there in yards per route run. <laughs> <laughs> Big shocker. Big shocker! Yeah. Oh man. Uh, and on the running back side, you were you were, you were yeah. talking about t- touches and, uh, and and what what would be kind of some of the ones that are on the over, a little overrated? Yeah, efficiency, just yards per carry. Um, you know, yards per carry is super noisy. By and large, I mean, 
average runners average like 4.2, 4.3 yards per carry. Um, if you have a running back that's slightly under average, like Leonard Fournette in yards per carry, but he's getting a ton of touches, like, yeah, sure. He's not going to, you know, he's not ripping off those sexy 20 yard, 25 yard explosive runs, but he's still extremely valuable for, for our game. So I think pr- pretty much every efficiency metric for running backs as it relates to fantasy is, is overrated. And, and do you agree with me? I mean, you know, you come from a baseball background. I come from a baseball background too. Is the NFL catching up to the baseball in the crazy stat department? <laughs> they, still have a, they have a long way to go. They have, <laughs> I still think that they're, they're, it's definitely getting a lot better. Um, I would, I would definitely, as much as some of these coaches and GMs say they don't use analytics, it's, you can tell just in the player, the players they're drafting and uh, just kind of the way they're transitioning away from just thinking of football like statically, like, oh, this is my scheme. I'm going to run this scheme regardless of who the players are. That's that's changing. And I think analytically speaking, that's where the, the numbers are kind of influencing that. But no, base, baseball is still – baseball, <laughs> it's funny. Like, I, I love baseball, but baseball has kind of been broken by analytics. Like, it, it really has been. Like, some of the enjoyability factor, like, I don't know how you feel about this, but, like – watching third baseman play like shallow right field on some of these, some of these, like, yeah, you're shaking your head. You feel the same way. It's, it's just weird. Right. I, I want, I want them in whatever the next thing that they, 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 that they do, I want to be, to the mandate that two fielders on each side of the, of second yeah. base. Yeah. I think you need that. And I'd love to see, make them say that they've got to have their foot in the dirt. I, I, yeah. I hate, I hate that. Um, to me, and, and I'm a national league guy. Okay. And, uh, so I, I grew up with, I grew up not saying I hate the DH like, like crash Davis, but, uh, <laughs> I've, I've come to the party because they don't want to, they don't bunt anymore. Yeah. So the only no. people who bunt are the pitchers. So yeah. why let, let's, so let's just get rid of it all together. And, um, and, and the thing that I hate about analytics is that it's pretty much taken away the second, ba- the stolen base. Yep. So that to me is, is the tough part. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, even though it helped the Dodgers win the world series, pulling Blake Snell when they did in game six last year, if I see in the NFL that they're pulling Patrick Mahomes in the third quarter, yeah, (laughs) you know, because, because he's pitching to, you know, he's, he's throwing to it. Yeah. That, that to me, come on, come on guys. If got that dude was so locked in. That Snell decision is a catch twenty two, right? Because like the Rays had used and and gotten right so many so many calls analytically about when to pull pitchers. Hey, we're gonna make this a bullpen game. We're gonna use this lefty against this righty, whatever. They had gotten it right so many times. But the Snell decision against that lineup, the way he was mowing them down, I get the whole anal- you know, I get the analytics behind you don't want to have your pitcher face the lineup for a third time. I get all of that. But you're absolutely right with Snell, like man, you're trying to win the world series. This dude isn't allowing any hard contact whatsoever. Like at least give him a couple batters. And if he gives up, you know, a big double, then you pull him, you know, G- give him a chance to at least get through that lineup for that third time. Plus it was the, the two, the next two guys up, he'd struck them out both times the previous yep. time. So it's just, I, I, I don't, I, Hey, but again, you know, I, I'm still waiting on the parade out here in LA. So, <laughs> but, uh, but it, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah. We, we, uh, we definitely enjoyed that night. Uh, well, the, I, I, Hey, I could get into a baseball tangent anytime. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, for you personally, what kind of, what's your favorite format to play in fantasy football, mm-hmm. uh, redraft dynasty, 
single double uh, two QB? Yeah. Um, I'd say dynasty just because it's, it's a little more like strategic long-term. Um, and I, I play against, uh, some of my, some of my best friends, you know, Scott and I are in a couple leagues. Um, it's always fun to kind of just, 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 uh, compete long-term and see the different team building outlooks for dynasty. But, um, honestly, you know, my favorite league that I, I play in is my longest one. I'm in a, I think I've been in this league since like seventh, eighth grade, just some, uh, friends back from Jacksonville and, uh, my dad's in it. Uh, one of his best friends is in it. His son's in it. We're good friends. Like, so, um, just honestly, I, I love all t- types of fantasy, but I mean, dynasty's become more, uh, I guess more fun for me just because it's just different strategically, but I still, I still love the, the classic, uh, classic redraft leagues. Oh yeah. Classic. Yeah. Our family league that spawned yeah. the Familia FFB is, is, is a, uh, is a classic single QB. I still can't convince my cousin, the commissioner to, uh, to change it from standard to, uh, either PPR or half. Oh PPR. no, you got to at least, you got to get it to go at least half PPR. Come on. Uh, I'm, I'm trying. I, I, I'm trying. I, I, I'm one of the older guys and I'm the one, the ones bringing, bringing ideas and I, I I'm getting the old goat kind of like, Oh, we've done that like this for this way forever. I, I'm still trying to get him to also get rid of the kicker. So, uh, Oh man. Kicker, I would much rather. How do you feel about this? Would you rather have a kicker or a defense? Because I'd rather have a kicker. I, you know, I almost feel like a defense is more predictable, though. Yeah, that that's that, fair. That and, and like the kicker, I, I think it's fun, but man, I just I I hate relying on those guys. I want to get rid of both yeah. of them. I started playing more no kicker, no defenses leagues yeah. last year, and it was so you know eye opening. And you know, that's that's the way to do it is to get rid of the defense and kicker and add a couple extra flex spots, add a no, couple I, extra flex spots. I agree. That's how I ended up with uh, Chase Claypool in my last uh, flex oh, spot on the, on his monster week, just because I, I had that extra spot. <laughs> there you go. That'll do it. <laughs> uh, and how about uh, single or, or uh, super single QB or super flex? Yeah, I think, um, uh, quarterback scoring is kind of broken in a way because you like we touched on a little bit ago. Like if you're not a running quarterback, it's pretty hard for you to, to have like a top eight, top ten season. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to be another litmus test for this. Like you know, Jalen Hurts might only complete like fifty five percent of his throws and average like under seven yards per attempt, but he is a legitimate shot at being a top eight quarterback. So um, that said, I think Superflex is is good enough band-aid for quarterback scoring because it gives you you know there's so there's so many quarterbacks on a weekly basis that are in play um 18 to 20 pretty much every week that you can rely on for you know predictable a predictable floor of points um super flex is is a lot of fun a lot of my dynasty leagues are actually super flex um my favorite i i I should have said this from the get-go my favorite though is auction leagues um, mm. auction leagues take a, a lot of time during the draft. Um, but my favorite drafts to do are auction leagues like Joe Dolan and Tom Brawley and I were in two auction leagues together. And it's always like my favorite nights of the year is like just going up against those guys and seeing, um, just, uh, it's just a different way of, of valuing players. So, um, I would say if you're, if you haven't, if you're into fantasy and haven't tried an auction league, definitely check that out. Auction is the way to go just it, it, yeah. it's it's got to be done i love i love the being done in two hours but you know I, I also love being 
Yeah, I mean, things take several hours. So, and, and just, it, it, I think it's more strategic. So, way more yeah, strategic. Yeah. So much more fun. Uh, yeah. So, kind of looking into the crystal ball and really considering the growing popularity and, you know, the states that are adopting sports betting and DFS, kind of, mm-hmm. do you see the, the fantasy industry kind of becoming a little bit more ingrained with sports gambling? Absolutely. And I think it's already starting. Um, in particular with the NFL, we're going to see player props become like mm. maybe the most popular form of gambling. Um, it, not in terms of money spent, but just like overall what content needs to be provided for it because we're heading towards and it's, it's, you know, state governments have their own agendas and stuff, but we're, we're, we're going to be heading towards the next five to six years where half of the country uh, will have some form of legal gambling. Um, it's, it's just a matter of getting the right money in the right people's pockets. Um, but yeah, I, I absolutely think fantasy is he- heading towards that lens. Um, I think, uh, for, for, for the NFL, just in, in particular, I mean, there's so many, there's going to be so many different ways to, to bet, you know, player props. Um, and, and I, I hope it becomes more of like a peer to peer type of thing. So like if you and I disagree on how many yards Calvin Ridley is going to have like you can put 10 bucks on hey i think he's going to have 85 and i think it'll be under that or whatever i hope i hope we trend that way uh where it's a lot more like fun and friendly back to back uh but yeah I, I definitely think yeah sports sports gambling man it's it's the wave of the future and it's going to be like magnitudes more profitable for uh everyone involved than like dfs and even seasonal oh. Amazing. I actually, you know, last year was the first year I really played DFS uh, really, uh-huh. really hard. And it, I, I felt like it made me better, made my analysis better because everything was just so matchup based and it, 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 and, and getting deeper into like the, you know, finding the quarterback. So I, I, I am, I, yeah. I can't wait to see the, like the next evolution. I think that's right about DFS. Cause you, you, you notice way more about the game and the nuances of the game and the randomness of the game. And you appreciate that more, uh, by, by playing DFS. So I, I'm, I'm with you on that. No, oh, totally. So, uh, I'm still in kind of my first year of content creation for fantasy football. And, and I feel like I'm learning all the time. So, I mean, you know, you've been doing it for you know a lot longer than me. I mean, kind of what would you give me and other content creators who are starting out, especially kind of like when it comes to, distribution of like my time and effort between sure. writing and podcasting and social media and anything else. Sure. Um, off the top, I would definitely say be yourself and find a niche, uh, which you've, we, you've done. Um, absolutely. You've done that. Um, I think so, so many people now are, are focused on building a brand and having the loudest voice in the room. And yeah, sometimes your tweet will go viral by doing that, but um, long-term being yourself and letting the brand build itself based on how you view you know, the NFL, baseball, whatever it is. Um, that's, that's the number one thing. Um, and then finding, you know, finding a niche, finding something, you know, knowing something that you're, you're really strong at and really honing in on it. Um, you know, a lot of the times we can improve our weaknesses, but it's, it's a lot easier when you're starting to really focus on your strengths and know what you're good at know what you're comfortable with and build off of that from there. Um, as far as time allotment goes, that, that's a tough one because, you know, if you're really good at podcasting like yourself, um, focus on that. But, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, uh, you don't have a, a very strong feel for how your voice is or whatever, 
um, focus on other mediums. You know, there's, there's, uh, you know, I still think, you know, YouTube is, is an incredible platform where you can have very short form videos and you don't have to be super long winded. Um, I hate to say it because I, I love writing, but man, like just, it, it takes so much time to write an article uh, and no one <laughs> reads it. Like no one on Twitter, the, the analytics on Twitter for link clicks and I think this is in part because of the algorithm, but I also think it's in part because just how our brains work. Um, it's way down. Like readership is just way down. People are not reading articles. Like if they see an article that's 800 or more words, they're like, yep, nope, I'm good. I don't have enough time for that. So um, I hate I hate to say it, but like definitely finding ways for short-term, vid- uh, short-term video podcasts are great. Um, that That's where I would be focusing my time on. And, you know, you can write... You can write super concise articles that um, get to the point and get you know get your readers knowing what they need to know quickly. Um, that can definitely be done, but that's certainly a skill too is is being being able to be you know brief but still detailed. That's the one thing. I mean, writing is my background. I mean, obviously, I was a sports writer for a long time, and so uh, that, that that to me, I, I'm I'm glad you uh, mentioned that because I've been trying to. I found myself writing these 2,500 word articles and I'm just kind of like, I'm pouring over it and I'm like, Oh, but, uh, I'm, I want to get into that 500 to 800, maybe chopping that up into like, you know, four or five, you know, four or five different articles. I think that's going to, yeah, that's going to be, have to be the way to go. Okay. So you've lived in California. So I know Mm -hmm. you've had access to good tacos. So, uh, I know there are places that you mentioned, but your let's rank your favorite taco meats. Yes. Uh, I gotta say off the top, any other city is inferior for, for tacos and, and, uh, Mexican food in general. Um, I'm quite fond of barbacoa. I, I never tried barbacoa until I moved, uh, to LA barbacoa is, is freaking awesome. Um, then you got obviously like it, it's, it depends. Like I love spicy, spicy stuff. So I, I fell in love with chorizo, uh, pretty quickly. Um, Carne asada is always good. It's an always good go-to. I mean, you can always do like, you know, carne asada and pescado. Um, uh, I love chicken tinga. I'd never had chicken tinga before, but chicken tinga, when it's done right, is incredible. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's probably, honestly, that's probably my favorite is chicken tinga. It's exactly. I don't know if you did, did you have a guisados anywhere nearby you? Uh, I think I tried them once with a buddy. Uh, I cannot remember what I got. Um, cause they had an incredible, they have an incredible chicken tinga. Yeah. I think, I think I tried them once. I'm trying to remember, ah, man, that all I know is there's this taco truck that was right down the street on Venice from where we were at. And they had this, oh. like every night I'd have a couple beers be like, damn, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some chicken tinga tacos. And they were like literally out of this world. Good. And they're like two bucks. It's like, it's yeah. the best. <laughs> taco trucks there there taco trucks in la there's just nothing that catches that that touches them it's just fantastic just it's unbe- absolutely fantastic. Oh, the food the food and culture in la is is really it's 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 unbelievable it's so good oh i never had a bad meal never had a bad meal it's so funny like mauricio asked me i i had him on recently too and uh he asked me well you, you got you have good mexican food in la i said yeah but you know, I'll have to go to Mama Martin's house and uh, I get the best and, and no line. <laughs> <laughs> no line. That's the key. That's, That's the, the key. key. That's oh, the key. Yeah. 
Oh man. Well, Graham, I mean, I think we've had more fun than, than should be allowed, man, but uh, kind of closing it out. I mean, uh, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but kind of how often do you think, do you kind of step back and kind of think how cool it is sure. to be working on fantasy football for a job and especially <laughs> launching your own company with fantasy points? Literally every day. I'm not, I'm really not joking. Literally every day I, I feel, um, I, I just, I always have these like little pinch me moments where I like, I, I just never really feel like I'm working. Like I'm just kind of, um, doing what I'm doing my passion. Um, having the flexibility to do what you want, uh, is, is super liberating. Um, but yeah, still to me, like every, every day I'm thankful to like, you know, do what I do, work with friends, work with people I love. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been a, a fun journey, uh, for sure. And, uh, it's, it's legitimately the best job in the world. Like even during the grind of the season where, you know, from like pretty much like August 1st until, the new year we're grinding like 60, 70 hours a week. But even then, like there's days where it's a slog and you're exhausted, but I still, I'm ne- I never complain just because I'm, I know I'm so fortunate to, to do what I do. And um, yeah, I just feel so lucky. Oh man. Well, I mean, you're a pleasure to follow. I mean, it, it was awesome to have you as a guest. I mean, I, I'm, I, hopefully this is the beginning of more conversations uh, down the road, but uh, absolutely. I, you know, I'm uh, familia. This is todo for our show. Uh, Graham, uh, send us where 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 uh, where to find you. I know we don't need to look far, but uh, also kind of. Uh, I know you get. I know you still grinding on yards created. Yeah. But, uh, tell us what's coming up. Yeah, uh, I'm at Graham Barfield on Twitter. You can find all of my uh, my work at Fantasy Points and all the work from from Edwin and and Joe, Tom, Scott, John. Uh, all of our stuff, fantasypoints.com. Like I said, I think I mentioned earlier, but our draft guide is up and out. Uh, over 100 player prospects from the great Greg Cosell. We got a staff rookie ranks in there. Um, it's only 25 bucks. So if you want pretty much the best draft guide you can get, uh, head it, check it out. 25 bucks. We've got a Apple app. We've got an Android app for it too. So you can kind of just streamline it on your phone and you know lead up to the draft. You know, know who your play. You know who your teams are going to pick and kind of get an idea for it. Uh, but yeah, fantasypoints.com. That's where it's at. Oh man. Well, he's not only a great analyst, he's also a great businessman. So, uh, made a great move going out there, my friend. It's, it, it's awesome. And, uh, thanks again, familia. Uh, thanks again to anchor for being our hosting network and making sure our independent podcast gets out to the familia community. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. And, uh, you can find original content from, from our side at familiaffb.com. And, uh, remember to find, follow us at familia FFB. You can follow me at Jorge Martin 17 on Twitter and also our family FB Facebook page. Uh, Graham otra vez. Gracias. Uh, gracias otra vez, my friend. And uh, everybody remember, todos somos familia. <laughs>